morning, my name's Jenny. Our Bible reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel. Before I read that, um, the ladies' lace. I always forget to do this, sorry. I'll just start again. My name's Jenny. I'm going to bring the Bible reading this morning. But before I do that, I just want to say that the lace evening is a worship evening for all ladies and it's on July the 19th. So now, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. So Luke 5, verses 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genereset, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they, pull, they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. Thanks, Jen. Morning, everyone. Morning, especially to everyone at home. And a special shout-out to Marnie and Franklin, who are at home. And I got sent a video, Trace, of uh, Marnie at home doing the... I'm going to let my little light shine. So that was nice. Kids Club was a great time and a great event, and there are, I think, if I didn't count properly, four kids here this morning. So we have all of this just for you. <laughs> Initially, I thought there were just two kids, and I have two boxes, so it was going to be a box each, if you do the colouring in. There's a kid's sheet for you to do. Yep, if you don't do that, you need no chocolate. <clears throat> and just as a... Um, a taste of what we did this week. Uh, Pastor Tracy, Pastor Alvin and I, we led the devotions at about eight o'clock in the morning and we shared in doing that and spoke about the day and we prayed together and I often, I usually, always, in fact, uh, tell them some jokes. I thought I'd give you a sample of these this morning. <laughs> Do you hear about the corduroy pillows? They're making headlines. Aren't they good? <laughs> Why are dogs such poor dancers? Two left feet. 
What do you call a belt that's made entirely of watches? Waste of time. It's all in the timing, isn't it? <clears throat> um, did you hear about the two guys who stole a calendar? They both got six months. Make sure you pray for the kids' club leaders next year because oh, no. others will be telling them jokes next year. Kids' club was superb and the celebration on Friday night went off really, really well. And may I also commend and thank those who provided morning tea. That was outstanding every day. Lunch was superb, led by Judy and Pete and a whole stack of others, Russell and Daryl and... Don and others in there and um, so morning tea and lunches and there was coffee it was just superb so I'm not sure what on spiritually but physically we were really ministered to it's great to be together again um, and obviously every Sunday after we have kids club there's usually a dip in our numbers and services P people are tired or worn out or people have gone away for the second week of their school holidays or something like that so it's good for us to be together to remind ourselves of who God is and what he's doing let's pray together and then we'll jump into this passage thanks Heavenly Father that we can be together again we thank you for your work amongst us and through us last week May, Lord, indeed, the seed that has been sown bring forth fruit for your kingdom. And Lord, do it again here this morning. Open our minds and hearts to receive your truth, to hear your word to us. What is it, Lord, you want to say? Speak, Lord, for your, we, your servants, are listening. And everyone said, Amen. In this passage... Um, the, Luke is going to tell us what Jesus wants for his disciples, what Jesus wants, in fact, for us. And there'll be, there are three questions, I think, that Jesus asks through this passage. We're going to ask those questions of ourselves. What's the background to Luke? Well, in this particular passage, uh, the story is that Jesus is demonstrating his authority over creation by this huge, miraculous catch of fish. And in the midst of that, out of that, he calls very common, ordinary people to come and join him in his most important work of fishing for people. Does it again. Still doing it today. This is obviously not the first encounter between Jesus and Peter and Andrew and these other guys, James and John, um, because Jesus has already been baptised. He's been tempted in the wilderness. He's started his public ministry. That's mentioned for us back in... Luke chapter 4. In fact, in Luke 4.22, it says that everybody spoke well of him and they marveled at his gracious words. Note that, his gracious words. Jesus was no fire-breathing, hellfire, you know, frothing at the mouth preacher, pointing his finger and shouting at people. They marveled at his gracious words. In fact, 4.31 says they were astonished at his teaching, for his words had authority. Not everybody accepted him. 4.29 talks about how they wanted to get him out of the synagogue. So here is Jesus in the beginning of this chapter, walking towards the lake. He's moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, and now he's walking along the edge of the coast, and he's heading down towards Bethsaida, which is where Peter and Andrew and James and John have their fishing business. 
And then as the crowds, because of his rising popularity, his reputation ascending, the people started coming to him in order to hear God's word. That's worth noting. He approaches the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee. And while he was there, he saw two boats on the edge But he also saw the four guys down the beach a little bit and they were washing their nets. They were cleaning them, they were fixing them, they were then going to hang them up to dry and then they would let them dry in the sun, then they would fold them up again and put them back in the boat, ready to go out fishing again the next night. Um, So Jesus sees them there. Jesus gets into one of the boats, the one in fact that belonged to Simon, to Peter, whom he'd met before and Jesus probably knew that was his boat. Jesus is targeting him particularly. And he says to Peter, who's over there washing his nets, can you push out a little bit? Notice Jesus got into the boat, didn't ask permission. Just got into the boat. And then says to Peter, can you come and you know, push me out? And it's not just push me out, it's push and then get in and then row out a little bit. So now Peter and Jesus are going to be on the same boat. Jesus at the front, sitting down, teaching the people who were gathered round the shore's edge, and Peter behind him, sitting down. I wonder what Peter was thinking. Well, you can only guess, can't you? I think Peter was tired. I think though he's met Jesus, still learning and growing in his appreciation of who Jesus is, maybe the thought went through Peter's mind of who does this guy think he is? He got into my boat. Does he think he's the Lord and owner of all? And then Peter, of course, from a physical perspective, I can imagine him saying, I've been up all night. I've done the hard yards for no rewards. We didn't catch anything. I'm now cleaning my nets, repairing them and and doing all of that. And then Jesus says, hey, Peter, can you give me a push? Thanks, Pete. So Peter, whether it's reluctantly, nonetheless, he comes. He leaves the nets drying. Obviously, I'm guessing, with Andrew to finish off the job. He pushes the boat back, jumps in, and then rows out a little bit. And as I said, now it's Jesus and Peter in the boat. And the question I think that this implies for us, Jesus is saying to Peter, can I use your boat? Are you willing and available to serve me? Not when it's convenient, but when you're busy. You've got another agenda. You've got your own schedule to follow. And Jesus says, can you come and help? Help join me in what I'm doing. That's Jesus' invitation. And it certainly is to us as well. Um, That's what Jesus said to Peter. That's what Jesus says to us. Can I use your boat? Not literally. Some of you do have a boat. But you've got a car. You've got a house. You've got time skills, hands, can you make those available for Jesus? Can I use your whatever it is? Are you available to serve me, to help me serve? Stop what you're doing and join me in what I'm doing because Jesus wants us, I've taught you this before, see who has learned it, Jesus wants all of his disciples to be fat. What's that mean? Jesus wants us to be faithful, available, teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. I could have made it fit, but I didn't want to. Faithful, available, teachable. That's what Jesus wants for us. And then what's your response? 
Is your response yes or mm, later, maybe? Just want to finish doing what I'm doing. Or it's maybe, depends what it is. If I find out what it is you're doing, then maybe I'm interested, maybe I'm not. Or it's a straight out, no, I'm not going to join you. We know what the correct answer is, don't we? Obviously, it's the first one. Yes, Lord. I'll abandon my schedule, my tasks. I'll follow you. I'll join you in what you are doing. Notice Peter didn't say to Jesus, get out of my boat. And nor did he say, I'm busy. Nor did he say, I'm tired. Nor did he say, just tell the people to go home. And nor did he say, I don't want to get involved. He may have been reluctant, but he did say yes. He got in the boat, pushed it out, did what Jesus wanted him to do. And so Jesus finishes teaching the crowd and then Jesus does what he always does. He turns to the individual. Jesus preached to the crowds, but he's always concerned. He knows and is concerned for each individual, including us. Took time to help them individuals and to transform them. And he's still doing it, doing it in our lives. Luke 5, chapter 5, in fact, contains four of those individual encounters. This is just the first of them in this chapter. It's a simple story, but it's a divine appointment. It's a life-changing encounter with Jesus. It's going to transform Peter with the whole fishing business that he owns and is part of. Jesus' second request, when he had finished speaking to the crowds, he then says to Peter individually... Can you put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch? It's Peter and Simon, Peter, Simon Peter and Jesus in the boat by themselves. Can you put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch? It's a demanding request because Peter has been up all night. He hasn't slept. He's been involved in a back-breaking effort without any rewards. The nets are empty. And now he's been involved in cleaning the nets, washing the nets, hanging the nets up to dry. I'm sure he just had it in his mind, I just want to go home, have breakfast and have a sleep to get ready to go out again tonight. It's a demanding request. And often Jesus will demand something of us exactly at that point in our life. It also illustrates that he likes to use us in our weakness, not in our pride and arrogance and self-sufficiencies. That disqualifies us from him using us. But this demanding request comes at that time. Put out into the deep waters, Jesus says, lower down your nets for a catch. And Peter agrees to it. But what it means, I think, for Peter is, firstly, he's got an objection. Peter, the experienced fisherman, objects to this because he knows something. He knows that on the Sea of Galilee, um, the middle of the day is not the time to go fishing. You fish at night. And out into the deep is not where the fish are. They're in the shallows, closer to shore. And so Peter's response is interesting. He calls him master. Luke is the only gospel that uses this word. And it's a unique word. It's all to do with authority. It could be translated as commander or chief or magistrate or governor or president. Someone in charge. Someone with authority. So Peter recognises that in Jesus at this early stage of their relationship. Um, and he says to him, we worked hard all night. That's when you fish. If Peter did a background check on Jesus, he would know that he was a carpenter, not a fisherman, and we caught nothing. In other words, Peter is basically saying to Jesus, 
this is not a good idea. You ever had God say something to you when your response is, I don't think that's a good idea? It wasn't a good idea when God told Noah to build an ark, but he did it. It wasn't a good idea when God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. It wasn't a good idea when he told Moses to hold your staff out over the Red Sea. It wasn't a good idea when God told Joshua, just walk around the city of Jericho. It wasn't a good idea when God told Gideon, I'll take the 300, not the 32,000. It wasn't a good idea when God, the Holy Spirit told Philip, go down to the Gaza Road and wait there. It wasn't a good idea when, when Jesus says to Ananias, I want you to go to Straight Street and pray for this guy called Saul. Lord, do you know that he's persecuting your people? Not a good idea. God has plenty of not good ideas, which always reveal his glory and turn out fantastic ends in the end. It wasn't a good idea when God told Rhonda and I to sell our house and to go into ministry. Everybody thought that's not a good idea. We now have another house. 15 years we've been in this house, my wife told me. This is a year of milestones for us. 15 years we've been in this house, it's bigger, it's better and it's nicer. Not a good idea. We are never the losers when we follow and do exactly what Jesus wants us to do. So here is Peter. Peter the experienced fisherman, that's not a good idea. Peter the follower... But if you say so, I will let down the nets. That's what Jesus looks for, this submissive attitude of simple obedience to his words, to what he wants to do, to those prompts that he gives us, to those reminders or nudges, you know, call this person or go here or whatever it is that he wants or prompts you to do. Walk across the room and speak to that person who is sitting by themselves. Notice Peter leaves out the statement that Jesus says, go out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus' command contained a promise or the purpose of it. Peter says, I'll obey the command. I'm not sure I'm expecting a catch. It's in the deep. It's in the daylight. It's not likely, but he's obedient, even though questioning. Who was it, D.L. Moody or C.H. Spurgeon, one of them, who said, if God commands me to run at a brick wall, it's my job to run. It's God's job to take care of the brick wall. It's true, isn't it? Sometimes, well, the book of Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Doesn't mean abandon your brain or abandon reason or rational thought. Doesn't mean that, but it means you don't rely on that. God's word and God's direction is in charge, and we submit to His leadership. So, for Peter, who was in the boat alone with Jesus, when Jesus gives him this command, what I think that means is Peter's got to come back to the shore, go and get the nets which he's left hanging there to dry. Get Andrew, because it's both of them who are going to do this together. They carry the wet nets, which would have been very heavy, hundreds of pounds, dragged it back, carried them back to the boat, put them in the boat, and then row out to the deep. The crowd by this stage, I guess, is either watching or dispersing or something like that. James and John get on with the business of finishing, washing, fixing, and drying their nets. And so they launch out into the deep. 
Peter, Andrew and Jesus in about a 27-foot boat and it's about seven and a half feet wide. And they let down the nets when Jesus gave the word, now. When they did this, they caught a lot of fish and their nets began to break. They caught an abundance of fish. We're never told the number. They didn't count them. I don't know if it's too many to count or whatever happened, but something else will happen in a moment. When they did this, there was an abundance and notice their nets began to tear. Sometimes when you do what Jesus wants you to do, things get broken. Nets tear. Boats can sink. So they signaled to their partners, James and John, who were back on the shore, within shouting distance, obviously, come and help. And they came and they filled both boats with the fish. They were so full, in fact, the, ships were, the boats were going down. The, water, the boats were not just in the water, the water was going to get into the boat. So they've got fish filling both boats and they've got fish still in their nets and they're dragging the nets back to shore. An abundance. But even through this abundance, God is shaping them, testing them. God is the one who closes doors and opens doors. And even here, God is lining up the circumstances of what is happening to prepare them for a call. The nets are going to rip the boats are going to nearly sink because they're not going to need them anymore. Jesus is going to give them another job. I want you to leave this. I want you to come follow me. That's what God can do in our lives too. When we step out in obedience, then he arranges the circumstances of our life to prepare us for the next stage, the next step, the next direction for us of where does he want us to go. Because we think, I'm supposed to be doing this, fixing nets and fishing. That's what I do. And God says, nope, got something else I want you to do. I want you to leave that and I want you to come follow me. Um, that was too quick. So they said, yeah, that'll do. So they've come and verse 9 tells us that they were astonished at the number of fish they caught. They became aware that they didn't do it. They knew that they had thrown the nets out and all of that, but they knew that the person in the boat, Jesus, is the one who had orchestrated this, that he, by the power of his word, had... And we don't know. Did Jesus direct the fish to go there, or did Jesus just know by the Holy Spirit telling him that's where the fish were? Don't know. It's not important. But they became aware that God was with them in the boat. And verse 10 tells us, and they were afraid. And so in the midst of all of these emotions going on, this is wonderful to, oh my goodness, who are you? What are you doing with me? You're going to expose me. Peter, in fact, falls on his knees before Jesus in this boat and says to him, depart from me, Lord, go away. I'm, I'm a sinful man, I'm not worthy. Something has rattled his cage. Verse 9 tells us it's the abundance. He's astonished by it and he realises that he's not worthy of it. There's certainly that element to it. But I think there's also a sense of guilt. Go away from me, Lord. I got it totally wrong. I'm a sinful man. This was such an unreasonable idea. In the middle of the day, in the deep, doesn't happen. So I got it wrong. I doubted you and I said so. Could be that behind it. It could be also just the work of the Spirit of God in him that when God does something around us and in us, 
suddenly our guilt level becomes sharper and higher and we become conscious. I think as Tracy read to us during communion from Tim Keller, that we become conscious that we are unworthy of knowing him, of him receiving us and so on. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You need better people than what I can offer you. And Peter says, no, I like to work with broken, common, ordinary people who are prepared to be upfront and honest. I'm not going to pretend, but they're available, faithful, teachable. Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. So fear was part of their element of what was going on to them as well. He said to Peter, to all of them in fact, and to us, from now on you will be fishing for people. Fishing for people is a metaphor, obviously. It's a metaphor for the mission. But it's a metaphor of contrasts. Fishing for people is you'll be snatching people uh, from judgment. Like fishing, it'll involve strain and effort, maybe long hours and patience, often with little results, but you need to persist because the catch is of infinite value. It's a metaphor of contrast because what we do with fish is very different to what we do with converts. I'm not a fisherman. I'm not interested in fishing. I got invited last week to go fishing, to which I said, you're kidding. Though it might be nice to go out deep sea diving, you know, for the boat road or something. But standing there all day with a rod in your hand and doing nothing is the best illustration of boredom I could think of. (laughs) Sit in front of a three-hour movie, that's different. (laughs) Read a book for several hours, that's different. Fishing. Fish are tricked, they're deceived, and they're baited. It's a metaphor of contrast. They are caught, gutted, their heads are cut off, they're cooked, and they're consumed. We're not doing that with people. Fishing for people is we are removing them from dangers and judgment. We're giving them new life. They are reconciled, restored and transformed. God wants us to be fishers of people. Above and beyond all else. Love him. Love others. And in the process of loving him and loving others, we will be fishing for them. We'll be keen for them to come to know the Lord Jesus, to receive forgiveness for their sins. To be able to fish is to be able to relate to other people what it means to be in danger and to be saved from it. How do you become a fisher of men? From now on you'll be fishing for people. Jesus said consistently, Simon, Peter, James and John, leave your nets. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. You don't become a fisher of men because somebody tells you that you have to do it. You don't become a fisher of men naturally. You don't become a fisher of men out of guilt. You become a fisher of men, of people, by following Jesus. You hang around with Jesus. You follow him. And you'll become a fisher of people because that's what he's on about. That's what he intends for you to do and for us to do. It's a metaphor, interesting metaphor. And the interesting thing is their response. 
they brought their boats to the land, left everything and followed him. That reads like, you know, they didn't count the fish, they left the fish in the nets and the boat and they just walked away. That's not what happened. This is just a summary statement. They counted the fish, they gutted the fish, they sold the fish. They passed their nets and ships, maybe to some boats to somebody else, sold it to them for their business. James and John's dad, Zebedee, was also in the business. But they did all of that. Now, Jesus has provided them with a cash flow income, a substantial amount, for their wives and kids and families to be supported because they're not going fishing for quite a while, several years. They left everything and followed him. That's certainly what the Lord wants for us, to leave everything. Not necessarily literally, though sometimes literally. Jesus did say to the rich young ruler, I want you to go and sell all of your possessions, give it to the boar and then come follow me. He does say that. Not usually, but he does say it. So you need to be open to it. Lord, what do you want me to do? For the vast majority of us, he wants you to stay exactly where you are, keep what you've got, because it's his anyway. He gave it to you. And what he wants you to do is to use it for him. Make it available for him. Represent him in all of your relationships and transactions. I'm just reminding you of these things. He has resourced you for a purpose. And if he asks you to leave it all, then he'll replace it with something else, something much better. So Jesus says, will you leave it all if I ask you to? Will you focus on what's really important? The human soul, the salvation of others. That's number one. And it needs to be our top priority. What's the summary? Here we go. Jesus has said to Simon and to those disciples and to us, can I use your boat? Is that a question for you today? Or is Jesus saying to you, are you available to work with me? Can you join me in what I'm doing? Or will you do as I ask, even when it's not a good idea to you? Will you do what I want you to do? Next Sunday, we're going to have a baptism. There's a young guy going to the Air Force who wants to get baptised. If you haven't been baptised, and that's something, he asks you to do that. He commands you to be baptised. Will you leave it all if I ask you to? And by the way, if Jesus does ask you to leave it all, get that confirmed. Talk to some wise, godly counsellor saying, I think the Lord is saying this to me. What do you think? And let others speak into your life as well. Because there is an evil one around who likes to trick us, likes to con us. And so if the Lord does say something dramatic to you like that, I want you to change careers, just check it. The Lord doesn't mind us checking it. He wants us to use our brains and common sense. And we're doing so with a view to being obedient. Lord, did you want me to do that? Then have others confirm it for you and have him confirm it through his word. And then for all of us, will you refocus on what is really important? Jobs are important. Marriages are important. Parenting is important. Grandparenting is important. There's a whole lot of stuff that's important. But in the midst of all of those important things, this one is central. Salvation of souls. 
whether it's a spouse, whether it's children, whether it's grandchildren, whether it's neighbours, whether it's friends, work colleagues, that's the focus. If you would like prayer this morning because something's going on in your life or you want to wrestle with one of those questions together, then please come forward. The pastors and the elders are here and they'll pray for you certainly and we'd love to do that. I'm going to invite you to stand with me and we're going to pray together and conclude our service. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we want to thank you that we have the opportunity to come together to be with you. We thank you for sending Jesus and we thank you, Lord, for sending your spirit. We thank you for the gift of your word. Heavenly Father, may all of these things that you have given and gifted us with come together as we seek to follow Jesus, to be fully obedient to him, available to him. Go before us into the days of this week. Help us to see and or be aware to discern your divine appointments. Give us wisdom in, and grace in how we speak to others. And Lord, please give us the opportunities to be able to talk about Jesus to others. Forgive us for neglecting the most important things and being distracted. Um, so Lord, fill us with your spirit. Send us forth into the days of this week as your followers and bring us back together again rejoicing. We ask and pray this in the name of Jesus. Everyone said? God bless everybody. Please be seated.